2 Chronicles chapter 20. After this, the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, and with them some of the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then some came who told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. Behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was alarmed, and he set himself to seek Yahweh. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah gathered themselves together to seek help from Yahweh. They came out of all the cities of Judah to seek Yahweh. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in Yahweh's house before the new court. And he said, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, aren't you God in heaven? Aren't you ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one is able to withstand you. Didn't you, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the offspring of Abraham, your friend, forever? They lived in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If evil comes on us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned away from them and didn't destroy them. Behold how they reward us to come to cast us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that comes against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah stood before Yahweh with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then Yahweh's spirit came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah the Levite, of the sons of Asaph in the middle of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, Yahweh says to you, Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but gods. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they are coming up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Set yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of Yahweh with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed. Go out against them tomorrow, for Yahweh is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before Yahweh, worshipping Yahweh. The Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, with an exceedingly loud voice. They rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in Yahweh your God, so you will be established. Believe his prophets, so you will prosper. When he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to Yahweh and give praise in holy array as they go out before the army and say, Give thanks to Yahweh, for his loving kindness endures forever. When they began to sing and to praise, Yahweh set ambushes against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were struck. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. When they had finished the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy each other. 
When Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked at the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and there were none who escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their plunder, they found among them in abundance both riches and dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. They took plunder for three days, it was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled themselves in Berakar Valley, for there they blessed Yahweh. Therefore the name of the place was called Berakar Valley to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go again to Jerusalem with joy, for Yahweh had made them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments, harps and trumpets to Yahweh's house. The fear of God was on all the kingdoms of countries, when they heard that Yahweh had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. He walked in the way of Asa his father and didn't turn away from it, doing that which was right in Yahweh's eyes. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people had still not set their hearts on the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, behold, they are written in the history of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is included in the book of the kings of Israel. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. The same did very wickedly. He joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. They made the ships in Ezion Geba. Then Eleazar, the son of Dodavahu of Marashai, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined yourself with Ahaziah, Yahweh has destroyed your works. The ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So in this chapter, Jehoshaphat um, hears word that a great army is coming um, out of the desert. Now, it says here in the first two verses what looks like a, a textual variation. It says, After this, the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, and with them some of the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So the Ammonites are the children of Ammon. So it says the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, and the Ammonites. So it see, it's kind of like they're saying Ammonites twice. But later on in the chapter, it says the people from Ammon, the people from Moab, and the people from Mount Seir. So two other times in the chapter, it says that the third group are the people from Mount Seir. So it looks like in the first time, someone who's been copying has just written the wrong thing twice. That's what it seems like. So it's really the people of Mount Seir is the third group who most likely are the Edomites, the descendants of um, Esau, because you know Mount Seir was kind of like in the middle of Edom. So presumably we've got Moabites, Ammonites, and Edomites all joining together to attack Israel, to attack Judah. And these three nations were separate nations, separate gods, separate ways of doing things, and they would not normally have worked together. But they must have done so for a political reason. They must have decided that they, this was a common goal. And uh, the worst types of alliances are those where you don't like each other, but you have a common enemy. They're the worst types of alliances because you don't have much in common to keep you together. And at some point when you defeat your common enemy, or uh, you know, 
it's you're going to go back to the way you were before or if your common enemy defeats you um, <laughs> now you start blaming each other even more so it's always a little bit tenuous when enemies work together against an even bigger common enemy that's probably what's going on here but the interesting thing about this is that this army is coming out of the desert. Jehoshaphat hears about it. He's greatly alarmed and he goes to prayer to seek the Lord. And he calls the nation to fasting and prayer with him. Now, have you ever heard of an example of a political leader who's so concerned they call the entire nation to prayer and fasting? You probably can't think of one, but there are examples of it. And a great example was when the King of England, just as the middle of World War II, now the King of England isn't, like a political leader like say the prime minister you know can really decide things the king is kind of involved in the process in a lesser way but the king of england is still a kind of a significant leader and during world war ii what had happened was the germans had invaded poland you know and czechoslovakia then they'd invaded belgium and then they'd invaded france and they were pushing the french soldiers all the way back to the coast and the english had gone across to help and there was something like three hundred thousand english soldiers there in France and the Germans were pushing so fast and hard that they basically had them trapped on the beach and they were going to just wipe them out. 300,000 men were going to meet their doom. And um, the King of England was so concerned um, that he called the nation to fasting and prayer. Now, there's a movie being made about this called Dunkirk because the beach was Dunkirk. But in the movie, you don't see anything about the king calling the people to prayer and you don't see, there's no recognition that the, the God was involved in this at all. And yet it's one of the great modern miracles that has happened when a whole nation prays. And so what happened was that the Germans had all these tanks which could have rolled in, they were right there and could have started destroying the, the allies. But the, the, the general, the wisdom in the, the wisdom, in the German army was that uh, let's not use the tanks because we've got to cross certain marshes and we don't want to risk the possibility of getting them bogged. Let's just send in the army, the Air Force, sorry, and just bomb all these men on the ground and uh, let's wipe them out. So that was the wisdom. Now you see when people pray, sometimes the wisdom that people have is confused wisdom. <laughs> so the Germans are thinking they're making these great decisions you know, from a military point of view, but really the Lord is confusing their thoughts. So the Lord causes them to think, let's not send in the tanks, let's send in the planes. And then, no sooner does that happen, then a fog rolls in, <laughs> a, a fog that is so thick that planes just can't fly. And so the, the Germans are waiting for the fog to lift for days. And in those days, a army, like a flotilla of boats, like 700, 800 boats, like they just rounded up every boat they could possibly imagine. Fishing boats, you name it. They went across the channel, 40, 50 kilometers, and they managed to save the lives of 300,000 soldiers and other people along with them. Amazing. A great answer to prayer. This is what you get when a nation goes to fasting and prayer. This is a modern example. So Hollywood isn't gonna make a movie highlighting that wonderful fact. But that's a wonderful fact. <laughs> and here in the Bible, we have this story of Jehoshaphat who calls the nation to prayer. And the, the, the word of the Lord comes and says, this, this is not your battle. This is the Lord's battle. The Lord's going to handle this. And in, in um, another account in the Bible, I think the king's account, it tells us that they set before the army 
the, the praise and the worship team. So they basically went down to, to, to where the, this army was coming, but the people that went first were those who were praising and worshiping, and they never even had to fight. The, the, the victory was won completely through praise and worship, and the Lord stepped in. And what the Lord did was he caused this alliance to turn it on each other. So the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites, presumably those, the Edomites, who would not normally have worked together, for some reason quarreled and started fighting each other and they managed to completely obliterate each other. Well, that's the Lord's doing. And it was all brought about by, first of all, prayer and fasting, and next, second of all, by sending the praise team down first. And so when we praise in church, when we praise and worship the Lord in church, or when you praise and worship the Lord in your, your own home, that's not just singing happy songs, it's not just to make you feel better. That's a powerful weapon. Like this story here illustrates how Things like prayer and fasting and also praise and worship, they just destroy the power of the enemy. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so we have a great, great story here. And there's a man, he's gone to be with the Lord now. His name was Merlin Carruthers. You should look him up. He wrote a book called From Prison to Praise. And the Lord taught him how to overcome so many different types of challenges in life through the power of praising God. So, you know, if something happens and... You know, he, he, he was driving and he got a flat tire. Oh, Lord, thank you for the flat tire. And some people think that he was, you know, you can't praise the Lord for the problem. You just praise the Lord in the problem. Some people kind of have that little limitation on it. But no, Merlin Carruthers used to teach praise the Lord for the problem and praise the Lord in the problem, both. Because the Lord can handle it <laughs> and the Lord is going to bring something about through it and when you praise the Lord with that level of enthusiasm it's just complete faith that's what it is your trust is in the Lord that he's looking after you so when you have a flat tire and you're stranded on the side of the road and you go to get the spare out and the spare's flat too oh Lord thank you for the double flat thank you you're looking after me and your complete praise in the Lord changes the way you will feel but also it's putting your trust in him and he's able to work things out. And Merlin Carruthers discovered this. He wrote his book from Prison to Praise and then he, people started trying it out and sending him all these testimonies, amazing testimonies of circumstances that just ch changed through praise. And there were other books. And I read one of his other books which was just full of these testimonies. There was a man there whose daughter had been in a car accident and she'd been turned into it like a kind of a vegetable and she was in a coma. She'd been in the, in the hospital for like nine years or something. And, and this guy had read Merlin Carruthers talking about praise. And the Lord was saying, praise the Lord for the problem. And this guy could not bring himself to say, Lord, I praise you that my daughter is in a coma. He just could not do it. And he was praying, Lord, bring her out of the coma. All the normal things Christians do, but he just couldn't do that one thing. Anyway, one day he decided he was just gonna do it. And he said, Lord, thank you that my daughter is in a coma. Thank you that you're looking after everything. And he basically, when you, when you come to that place, you're basically saying to the Lord, you know better than I do, and I trust you, and I praise you that your purposes are better than mine. Then he gets a phone call from the hospital. You won't believe it. Your daughter's just woken up from a coma. It's just unbelievable. Well, so that was one of the testimonies that someone shared by applying this principle of praise. 
Well, that was Merlin Carruthers. And here we've got this story about how Jehoshaphat sends the praise and worship team into the battle before the army. And there's a great, great victory. It's a terrific story and it's worth thinking about. So whatever struggles you have in life, maybe time to put some praise on and see the enemy be defeated. Thank you, Lord, for this chapter. Thank you for power in praise. Thank you, Lord, that you are above every problem. Thank you for the fact that the battle is the Lord's. The battle is not ours, and we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.